Good morning. Uh, welcome to Elevation. As Bill said, if we haven't met, my name is Daniel. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Phil is actually uh, with his family. They're on vacation. So, Phil, if you're watching from live stream, hello. The building is, the building is still standing. The mist is gone. Don't worry, that wasn't smoke. <clears throat> We're good. Uh, but, yes, if this is your first time here, I uh, wanted to say thank you so much for coming to our church. And uh, just so you know, we are wrapping up uh, the end of a five-month series called Back to the Basics, Healthy Living. Uh, so if this is your first time here, come check, check out our website, listen to uh, the sermons, because we went through a bunch of different uh, areas of our life that God wants to make whole, that God wants to make us healthy. See, we started out with just a spiritual health, having an alignment with our Heavenly Father, a better understanding of Jesus and His love for us, a better understanding of the Holy Spirit and our identity in Christ. And then from there, we moved on to relational health. See, God doesn't want us to just love Him. He also wants us to love other people. And so we worked through what it meant to reconcile relationships. Uh, and then we went into financial health, which wasn't just about money. It was really more about heart issues. It was about possessions. It was even about time and what God desires to, to do with those gifts that he's given you. And the last thing that we focused on was emotional health. And we put something together that says that, that emotional health is so important for your spiritual growth that as far as you are emotionally mature, uh, that will be as far as you can go spiritually and spiritual maturity. So... These next two weeks, we're going to be wrapping all of this up, and I kind of want to focus on more of like a how question, like how are we able to kind of put this all together? How are we able to get this and to apply this to our lives? You see, because God wants this for us. Uh, the staff, all of the church leaders, we want you to be whole. We want you to be healthy. We want your marriages to thrive. We want you to be free of financial burdens and debt. We want you to have a life that's characterized by the fruits of the Spirit. Joy, love, peace, and contentment. So when we look in the how, this morning, honestly, I'm really just going to focus on one principle. And we're going to really dive into that. And this principle is amazing because it carries a promise with it. And the promise is this, if you'll put it up. It's the first one. That they meaning us, will be blessed in what they do. So we should be out of here in no time, right? I mean, it's one, one principle, one point. We'll see. Um, so before we get uh, going, though, I just, I'd love to pray for you guys. Uh, Holy Spirit, it is true that when you walk in the room, when your presence is felt, that we are changed. And so, Father, I pray that today is... It's not my words, this is not my ideas, this is not my uh, desire uh, for these people here, that what would be conveyed is your love and your desire for them. That there is a freedom when we go back to what you originally designed us to be. And so, Father, I just pray that this would be a time where we would just experience your presence, experience your love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, or if you have your Bible app, would you turn to James, James chapter 1. And uh, I'm really excited about teaching on this because, honestly, I, 
This is one of my favorite scriptures. It's personally done so much for me, and it's been such an influence in my life uh, from a young believer to now. And I believe also in this scripture, we see one of the most brilliant illustrations in the New Testament, if not maybe even the whole Bible. So let's start in James chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. So, so James here is, is, is pointing out to us, he's laying out a subtle type of deception. There's a subtle type, type of deception that if we just hear the word, if that's just our agent of change, if that's what we measure our spiritual experience by is hearing, then there's going to be some sort of deception. Now, this is not just hearing. So James, as James is writing this, there's no personal scriptures. So if anybody wanted to hear truth, hear from the apostles, hear uh, about God and Jesus and all that he had done, he had, they had to hear it from people. People would open the scrolls. People would go into synagogues and they would open up the Torah and then they would learn from that and they would hear it. But we now have personal scriptures. So I want to add even another word in there, uh, not to be heretical at all, but say not only listen to the word, but read the word. We have the ability and have the personal Holy Scriptures with us. So not only listen, but reading the Word. That we fall into this subtle trap when we become spectators. When we just are joining small groups or even just having just alone time with the Lord and hoping, expecting that just those things are going to change us. You see, we can put confidence in these things. We can even give ourselves credit we can say we're going to church. And so this is making us a good person. We can join a 222 group or a small group and feel like this is making us a better person. We can read the Bible and, make, and think this is making a better person. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not saying don't do those things. They're absolutely important and integral for your relationship with God. But if you're counting on that to become the change in your life, James is saying that you're being deceived. So what is James telling us to do here? Continue with the verse. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Now, that seems really simple, right? That's like over, over, oversimplified. And we're like, okay, let's go on to the next thing. But I want to rest on this a little bit because in the real world, this principle makes absolute sense, right? If you... Uh, want to start a budget for your family and you learn all about it. You get all the things in place. You're like, all right, here's going to be the best thing for our budget. Here's what we can spend. Here's the things that we can put in place. Here's the things we got to let go and have all of this knowledge about the budget. But if you actually don't implement that budget, your finances never change. Think about even like reading books or hearing, uh, giving advice from people about how to how to treat your spouse, or how to raise your children. You can gain all of this knowledge. You can add all of these things to your life. But if you're actually not implementing that knowledge, implementing that change, nothing is going to take place. But however, with our relationship with the Lord, we can fall under this idea that coming to church once a week Listening to a teaching and a worship, 
and going home is all that really matters. It's all that really counts. I check that off my list and I'm good. See, often when a crisis comes, and I can personally identify this because this was me for a really long time, this kind of ebb and flow, we start to get serious about church. We get serious about religion and we try to do things if we're probably honest, we really want God to fix our situation, and so we're trying to kind of get on God's good side, and so we're doing things that he thinks he's going to like, or that we think he's going to like, that he's going to be pleased with us if we do these things, and so we'll go to church. We'll join small groups, we'll read our Bible, we'll do all of these things, but I did this in my life, and I found myself getting stuck in ruts. I had these similar patterns, these similar things that I kept going through because I was hoping that just going to church and hearing it was going to be the thing that was actually going to fix me. But I was deceived. You see, I was thinking that I was going to cut it, but it wasn't. It makes sense that if we want to fix our marriage, if we want to fix our relationships, if we want to fix our problems, if we want to fix our finances, that we need to actually change that we need to allow God access to that area of our life. You see, God is a gentleman. He's not going to go anywhere that he's not invited or that he's not welcomed or he's not asked to come. And I get it. It's hard. Change is really difficult. And for most of us in the room, we resist change as much as we can. So if you don't want to change, if you don't want to turn from your ways, God is not going to force himself on you. That's not in his character. And so if we're just listening and we're heading in this direction and we're listening to the truth and we're listening to the truth, but we're not actually, repent is the word to turn. It's a military term. And so if we're not actually changing direction and doing something different, we're going to continue to go in this path even though we're hearing all of these things that say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. How many times, if, if you could look back on your greatest failures or your greatest disappointments, you had this, you were heading in this direction, and you heard, you heard, you heard that this wasn't a good idea. You heard that this was not heading in the right direction. You heard that you shouldn't reach out to that person. You heard that that wasn't a good relationship. You heard that you didn't quite have the money to probably afford that, but you did it anyways. Listening doesn't cut it doing does and there's another deception and honestly I also I'll just briefly go over this because I'm going to really go in depth next week so that's a shameless plug please come back um, <coughs> but if we just listen and read and word and don't apply it we begin to shift our focus of religious priorities we begin to just think that it's all really about a vertical piece Right? It's all about us being in pe making peace with God, we're good with God, and then we're good, right? We don't need to worry about all this other stuff. And so when we read and we listen, we kind of internalize everything, and we really just talk, we isolate our relationship with the Lord with just us and Him. And hmm, hmm, when, when I would do that, I would hurt people, and then I would ask God to forgive me, and I would go on like everything was fine. All the while, there was brokenness around me. I was leaving a wake of destruction. I was causing so many issues because, for me, the listening and the reading was all that really mattered, and it was really focused on getting God and having peace with God. 
But as we apply the scriptures, you know what happens? Our, our love shifts affection. We start shifting it to the people around us. And we, instead of loving God by trying to be, to be pleased with him or, or for him to be pleased with us by all the things that we do, we end up loving God by loving the others around us. So let's go back to James. So James is laying this principle. It's simple, but it's not always easily applicable. And so in James uh, 1, 23 through 24, he gives this awesome analogy. He says, if anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, we were just talking about the listening and not doing, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I brought this amazing leopard print mirror to, to illustrate this. This is not anything special. This is not anything out of the ordinary. There's nothing magical about it. I can't say, show me the beast. Yeah, no, oh. Those, those tech guys, they're, they're wily, wily individuals. Oh, wow. Well, poor Phil. He's not here to defend himself. Um, <clears throat> yes. Uh, so, the mirror. This, this concept that, that James is bringing uh, is that he's talking about how if we hear the word, if we look at the scriptures and we don't apply it, it's like looking at a mirror and forgetting what we look like. Now, I feel like there's two different deceptions that happen when we look at a mirror and forget. The first deception is that we'll see something wrong and do nothing about it. Imagine this morning, if I just woke up, looked in the mirror, and was just like, oh, that's terrible. No, that's not good at all. And then I just put it down, and I walk away. And I just don't do anything about it. And I come in, and I show up this morning, and I haven't done anything to change the issues of sleeping and the mangy animal hair that's all over the place. We don't do that, do we? We don't sit in front of a mirror and see something wrong in real life and just do nothing about it. I mean, I look at all of you guys. You guys look like you all looked in a mirror and, and you did something about it. You know, I don't know if you wake up like this. My wife does, but I don't know if you guys do. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> and so, but to, I, and the funny thing is that I, I know how long that you looked in the mirror this morning. You looked in the mirror until it got better, right? Until it got better. Or you walked out, you get ready to leave the room, and then you get another glance, and you're like, oh, oh no, 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 that's not good. I got to go back, got to go back, got to work on this, got to add this. Most men, you know, you got to powder your stuff. And so, anyways, um, but you're, you're changing it, you're adding it, and sometimes you're just like, you give up, and you're like, it's just a hat day. It's going to be a hat day. Uh, for all you guys that come to my Saturday 222 group, um, those are hat days for me because I wake up and my head, bed head is crazy and I don't have time to change it all, so it's a hat day. So if you come to Plain Folk at 8, eight o'clock, you'll see me wearing a hat because I looked in the mirror, I didn't like it, and I had to do something about it. <coughs> it's all part of the, all the, the perks, the perks. The second way that I think that we see deception, if we, if we look in a mirror and forget, is that We'll look in the mirror and we'll see something good. We'll see something good 
and we'll walk away and forget about that quality. We'll forget about that part of our lives. You see, um, God, he just has an overwhelming and reckless love for us. And we read stuff like Ephesians 1, uh, 4, and it says that even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So when we, when we see that truth, but we don't actually apply that, man, that God has a reckless love for us, we'll forget about it. We'll forget about it and, you know, we'll try to find that love elsewhere. Try to find that love in maybe somebody else or in something that we're hoping is going to give us what we're really longing for. You see, a mirror, it invokes a response, whether good or bad. And James is saying that there's truth in the scriptures that works the same way, that when we hear it and we don't actually apply it to our life, we're fooling ourselves. <clears throat> Let me tell you uh, just a little secret about when it comes to looking in a mirror. Getting your hair right getting your looks right, getting your appearance right has far less to do with the direction and the quality of your life than getting your behavior right. Getting your appearance right has far less to do with your marriage, with fixing your marriage, with fixing your finances, with fixing your relationships, with fixing your struggles than getting your behavior right. And that's just been our heart this series. You know, we want you to experience what God has for you. We want you to experience the abundant life. We wanted to pull the scriptures up to you and show it as a mirror and say, this is what God says about you. This is the plan that God has for your life. And when we get these things right, when, we, when we're able to align our spirituality, when we're able to walk in obedience when it comes to relationships, when it comes to emotional health, when it comes to financial health, we get the abundant life that Jesus promised but if we don't apply it, if we don't give Jesus access to the life, to that life, that part of our life, then we're just fooling ourselves. So what are we supposed to do? James continues in verse 25, and he says, but whoever looks intently, and I underlined intently here because what it's saying here is that it's intently means is that he, the way it's said in the Greek is that they're walking, and then all of a sudden you see something, you stop, and you get down on one knee, and you gaze at it. You look intently at it. You're trying to understand it. You're trying to grasp everything about it. So that's what James is saying here, which says intently. And he says, when you look intently in the perfect law, that gives freedom. And so what James is talking about in the perfect law, we actually have to go back to what Jesus was teaching. So in Matthew 22, uh, one of the lawyers uh, asked Jesus a question, and this is a very normal question for uh, Jewish people to ask rabbis. He said, teacher, <clears throat> what, is, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And at this, everybody in the audience would nod and agree because this is normal. This was the vertical relationship that was all about getting peace with God. And then Jesus says, and, which people were like, wait, hold on a second. No, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. And he said, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. 
Jesus whittled down 631 laws into two. Love God and love people. And they didn't go like in order like love God, love people. It was love God, love people. When it says it's like it, it says it's equal and in value and importance. So James is saying that if we look intently in the perfect law that is loving God and loving others, it gives us what? It gives us freedom. So can we just have like an honest moment? Is it something weird kind of checks inside you that says a law gives you freedom? almost feels like laws are intended to kind of inhibit freedom, kind of to box you in or to keep you in this place where you're not going to be able to do all the things that you want to do. But I want to go through a couple examples of how when we do apply this perfect law, how it changes us. Forgiveness. Ephesians 4 32 says that be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as Christ forgave you. See, forgiveness at first doesn't sound very liberating at all. So you're telling me that this person hurt me, that this person hurt me deeply, and I'm wounded by this, and, and I need to forgive them for that? That doesn't sound very freeing at all. However, if you talk to someone that has truly forgiven someone that has deeply hurt them, they will say it's one of the most liberating experiences of their life. We had Brian who came up last week and he shared his testimony about forgiving his dad and how there was just a weight lifted off of him. So I have the kind of an introspective question. Why do you think that forgiving is so liberating? Because we're modeling the character and the nature of God. You see, God originally forgave us of so much. And when we align ourselves with the behavior, see, we were created in God's image, so when we begin to do what we've been created to do, which was to be like God and forgive others, we are going to experience that abundant life that God promises. And not only that, forgiving also meets that second requirement of the law. Forgiving loves others. What about finances? There's a great biblical model that says uh, give first, save second, and live on the rest. And when you look at that, you're like, that's not freeing at all. I mean, this is my money, right? So I'm going to live and I'm going to do all the things that I want to do and experience life the way I want to experience it. I, I may save a little bit if I've got some left over. And when it comes to giving, like even if, if I feel really bad or if I'm in the car and the light hasn't changed yet and this person looks really bad, then maybe I'll just feel guilty and I'll give him something, right? So we can go off of that model. But talking to people that have modeled their life after this, you know what they have? They have financial freedom. This model right here, debt's not even a part of the picture. You won't be enslaved to, the, to creditors, to debt, and you'll experience life. Now, I know there's a weird relationship when we talk about giving, when a pastor talks about that, and we've... There's just been some bad teaching about that. Let's just call it out. Some people will say that you should give because you'll get. And yes, you may receive blessings in return. We'll talk about that later. But the motivation to give to get is really skewed, right? Because if somebody has taught you that, here's a way to test it out. Go back up to them and say, and say hey, well, give me 10 bucks and see if God gives you more back, right? See how that goes. 
see where their heart is when it comes to that. So why do we give? This is pretty, this is pretty amazing. I didn't come up with this all on my own. Giving helps people. Giving helps people. Giving shows that we love people. And think about what the Heavenly Father did. He loved us so much that what did he do? He gave. He gave Jesus. He gave up. Jesus gave up everything so that we could have all of his. We could have all of his righteousness. We could have all of his glory. We could have all of his blessings. We could have all of his peace. We could have all of his joy. He gave up all of that for us. So when we give, just like when we forgive, we are modeling. We are modeling the behavior and the image of God, which is what we were created to be. Think about what we do here at uh, eKids. You know, the people that give to this church, we have so many generous people. And you guys make amazing things possible. Coming up at the end of uh, June, we're going to have our sports and arts camp. And every week, there's resources that pour into loving kids and teaching kids about Jesus. And why do, we, why do people give to support that? Because we love the kids in our community. We want to see kids experience life change. God loves the kids in our community, and he's using us to reach those kids and to reach a relationship with them and to change the generation. So giving loves people, the second command. Here's another one. This is my last example. Sexual purity. Here we go. That doesn't sound very liberating at all. I mean, it feels good. Why not do this? God wants me to be happy. You know why God wants you to be sexually pure? You may be picking up on a pattern here. It's because when we do that, we love people. Teens and singles, you are honoring the person that you are with and their future spouse, whether it's you or not, by remaining sexually pure. You are not becoming a part of one of their greatest regrets. You are also loving yourself and your future spouse when you remain sexually pure. See, romantic intimacy is not about getting a lot of experience. Romantic in intimacy is found in exclusivity when you're wholly devoted to one person. Men and women, God desires us to be sexually pure because he wants us to experience the joys of that. These aren't arbitrary rules. This isn't just something so God can sit back and say, ha, look at these people. Look what I made them do. He wants us to enjoy the, what he created sex to be and how he designed it. And let me tell you something about any of the scriptures that you read that give you the commands. It's all birthed out of a great, great love for you. You see, Jesus demonstrated that when he came and died for you, that God loved you and would do anything to, to bless you, to cherish you, to show you that love. But the Heavenly Father is a type of parent that is a do as I do, not do as I say. Heavenly Father is the type of parent that's a do as I do, not a do as I say. So everything that we read about when we read 
about forgiving, when we read about serving, when we read about giving, when we read about loving others, God has above and beyond done all of that for us before we've even had the chance to respond. God is a God of do as I do, not do as I say. So God loves us, and he wants us to love others. When we follow the perfect law, we fall in alignment with the way that he intended and created us to be. So just reading and just listening, unless we actually apply, unless we look intently into this law and apply it to our lives, we're just fooling ourselves. James will go on in this next chapter and rustle a lot of feathers when he says, you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, there's a part of you that just kind of just doesn't like that. Like, James, how can you insult my faith? This is my faith in God. You can't, you don't know me. But what's interesting is that when we say that we're good with the Father, but we can't forgive others, we're actually really not good with the Father. When we say we're good with the Father, but we're not generous, we're actually not good with the Father. When we say we're good with the Father, but we're not sexually pure, we're, we're actually not good with the Father. You see, it's impossible to love God and hate your brother. John would call you a liar. James would say you're deceiving yourself. And I just want to just kind of pause here for a second because it can kind of feel overwhelming to think of all the things that we need to do to apply to our lives. And so just know that God is transforming us into his likeness, into the likeness of Jesus a little bit at a time. It says in Philippians 1.6, it says, I'm certain that God who began a good work in you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So that means that until we see Jesus face to face, we're going to be still working on this. We're going to still have to deal with these things. We're still going to struggle with these things. We're still going to have our insecurities. We're going to still have that thing where we kind of push people away because I don't want to get into their mess because their mess is ugly and I don't want to deal with that. I don't have time for that. And slowly God is going to begin to work in us and change our heart. He's going to change our behaviors. So I ask you to be patient with yourself in this process. And I want to also ask your loved ones that you know that this change needs to happen in your spouse or in your children or in your parents or in your family or your friends. And I want to ask you to be patient with God's process. Be patient with it. And I want you to begin to speak over them, the man and the woman of God that he is designing them and creating them to be and pushing them to be, not the person that they currently are. So, so James kind of, he puts all of this together. In verse 25, it says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in everything they do. Now, when we read that, I want you to know that that doesn't mean we're going to get everything we want. And this is not a quick ticket to, to happiness and an easy life. It's much better than that. It's so much better than that. What James is saying here is that you will be blessed, that you won't have blessings around you, but that you, you will be blessed. That there will be something that wells up inside of you that's, uh, that, uh, that oozes out peace, that oozes out contentment. 
that when you see others, you're free to love them. You're free to bless them because you've got that flowing in you. And that means whatever situation you get, you are going to have that with you. You see, don't settle for the expectation that the outer blessings are the real benefit. That inward blessing is unshakable. It is the real benefit. What would your day look like if you had total peace? You weren't tossed back and forth by the moods of your spouse, your children, your teachers, your boss, your coworkers, or your friends. What would that look like? How would you look at yourself differently if you genuinely believed that God loved you so much despite your flaws, despite your failures? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And live life out of that truth. Because this is what God wants for you. He wants, he wants you to be whole. He wants you to be healed. You know, sin has done a mess in our world and in our individual lives. It's destroyed so many things that we hold dear. And God says that I want to change that. I want to begin. I want to turn you into a new creation. I want to change what has been robbed and taken from you and make it new and good. So there's too much at stake to just listen and not apply this. Jesus would give us a really famous parable um, in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And he says that anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, listens and does. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in on torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it here but doesn't apply is foolish. It's like a person who builds on the house of sand and when the rain comes and the floods come and the wind beats against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. How many of you guys have seen this? When somebody's life comes crashing down. It's terrible. It's awful. In almost every case, they saw it coming. They heard that this wasn't the thing to do. They knew that this relationship probably wasn't a good relationship or a healthy friendship, that it was getting a little more than that. They knew they shouldn't have started going to those websites. They knew that spending all of this money was actually going to hurt their family. They knew they were trying to fill a void, but they kept trying to fill it. And the winds came, the floods came, and it came crashing down. So if the band comes up, I want to I wanna give you guys some practicals, some take-homes to apply. Um, Phil did an awesome job of giving you guys a couple things to work on, and so I, I want to kind of follow suit with that and do the same. First, and I'll just be blunt, you got to own your relationship with God. You got to own obedience. 
look, we can do everything. We want to see you grow and to be the men and women of God that God desires you to be, but honestly, we can't do it for you. You're going to be the one that has to say yes. You're going to be the one that has to allow God access to those areas in your life. So you're going to have to just own these things. The second thing that I, wanna, I would recommend you do is just get connected. If you try to, do, to listen and read and to apply all by yourself, it is so, so hard. Get around people that have your best interests by saying that, hey, I want to help you become the man and the woman that God desires you to be. And I want to walk with you in that. You know, we do that in our 222 groups, but you can do that by getting involved all throughout our church. Serving is a great place to do that. You get around like-minded people that just, they want to see you grow. And the last thing is that tomorrow and, and every day for the rest of this week, I mean, I'd love for you guys to continue this for the rest of your life, but I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to gaze intently into the mirror. Not just to look at your appearance, but I want you to look deeper in that. I want you to look into your behaviors. I want to look into your choices that are directing your life, and I want you to evaluate them. Do they line up with the perfect law that, God, that Jesus set up? The perfect law that if we follow, we'll experience life and life abundantly. Does it line up with loving God and loving people? And if it doesn't, I want to challenge you to begin the change. It's not going to be an overnight thing, but I want you to challenge you to do the thing where you're walking this way and then you realize, I don't need to be going this way. I know where this road is going. I've seen it before. It's been in my life this many times. I've seen it happen in my family. I'm not going this way. And you turn. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What do you need to start doing that you know you should be doing? What are the things that you need to stop that you know you shouldn't be doing? There's too much at stake here. James says that freedom and blessings are at stake. Jesus says your life may be at stake. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, this is so big and overwhelming because God... In the very fiber of my being, I do not like change. But Lord, you love me. So help me, God, to trust you. Even if I don't believe that what you're saying is necessarily right, help my unbelief, Lord. Help me to just trust that if you gave us your son and you secured our salvation to spend eternity with you in paradise, that you do have our best interests at hearts that you want us to experience full life, full marriages, full and healthy relationships, a healthy response and emotions. God, you, you care about our finances. You don't want us to be burdened and shackled by these things. And so you made a way. Jesus, you made a way by conquering its power over us. And so this morning, I just pray that we would receive that and that we would say yes to the change. We would say yes to the change that God is calling us to do. And Lord, if there's anybody here that is just broken or burdened or just beaten, God, I just pray that they would come down to the center and just pray if they need to. 
Lord, let us as a church and a body surround them and love them and tell them that we're there for them. We want to walk through them in this because there's so much greater. There's so much more. We don't need to settle. There's too much at stake. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Lord, that you love us. And you did all of this before we even had a chance to respond. And it's in your name. Amen.